Okay, we are in the middle of chapter 29. Chapter 29 deals with a certain spiritual condition. It is called Timtum Halev, a dull heart. We started to explore how to get rid of this condition. What is this condition? A person learns about Hashem. The person meditates on Hashem's greatness in order to spark an emotional response, in order to have an arousal of the heart. And yet, even though they're taking all the right steps, their heart is not responding. This is a person who's taking all the right steps, and yet their heart is numb. So the Alter Rebbe told us, Hi Cheryl, good morning. The Alter Rebbe told us that the advice to handle this condition was already given in the Zohar. The Zohar says, the president of the academy of the yeshiva in Gan Eden said that a beam that will not catch fire needs to be splintered. A body that will not catch the light of the neshama needs to be crushed. So what does this mean? This means that the person is not responding emotionally because the sitra achra, the dark side, is as if covering their heart. And the way to do this, the way to get rid of this is specifically by shattering the body, not the body physically, we're never allowed to hurt our body, but by shattering the person's spirit, by breaking the person's heart. Because when a person breaks their own heart, they break the Sitra Ahura. Now this is a little difficult, a little difficult to understand. And the Alter Rebbe started to explain to us why. Why is it that when you break your own heart, you break the dark side? And he said, you know what the reason is? The reason is because when it comes to the average man, who do they identify most deeply with? Their animal soul. It comes to be that their animal soul is the very person. And so when they break their own heart, they are breaking the animal soul. That comes from the Sitra Ahara, the other side. And by breaking the Sitra Ahara, they now sensitize their heart once again to be able to accept the light of the Neshama. Now, I need to remind you what we said last class, that the essence of a Jewish person, of course, is not the animal soul. The essence of a Jewish person really is their divine soul. But the problem is not what they die for. The problem is what they live with. If you want to classify a Jewish person, you want to know who a Jewish person is? A Jewish person essentially is lovesick. If you ever read Shir Hashirim, the Song of Songs by Shlomo HaMelech, and suddenly she's like, oh my gosh, it's my beloved. How could I not open the door for him? So she goes to open the door for him, but he's gone. So then she's chasing after him, looking throughout looking for him throughout the streets and the watchmen are beating her. What is this crazy woman running around the middle of the night? And the daughters of Jerusalem are saying, who is your beloved that you're looking for? 
And she says to them, she says, Hishbati eschem Yerushalayim. I adjure you, I make you swear, daughters of Jerusalem. Im if you will find my beloved one, what will you tell him? That I am lovesick. A Jewish person is lovesick. That's who we are at our very essence. If you ever feel that space in yourself that always feels void, it's for a reason. It's because your soul pines for Hashem. Yet, even though that's who we are essentially, that's what a Jew would die for. Unfortunately, that's not how a lot of us live. You know the story of Golda Meir, where a bunch of English kids came to help out for the war in Israel. After the war was over, they're getting on a plane to go back home. And she turns to the kids and she says, I don't understand. You were ready to die with us. Why won't you come live with us? And that's how it is. We have this dichotomy. Our essence is purely holy. But right now, when we're saying that the animal soul is the very man himself, we mean this is the consciousness that we identify with. And by breaking our own heart, we break the animal soul, which breaks its source, the Sitra Akhra. Now, before you start rubbing your hands with glee, so excited to crush yourself, I want to tell you something. In November of 1985, the Rebbe delivered a revolutionary talk. And he spoke about causing bitterness to yourself. And he said, our generation is not equipped to handle this kind of crushing. If you study Hasidic thought, if you study Kabbalah, you understand that a Rebbe is not just a regular guy who's a little smarter than everybody else. He's somebody who's connected to the essence of that generation, who sees people's souls. The Zohar calls the heads of the generation Ispashtusa Demaisha. This is an expression of Moses. Every Jewish leader, every Jewish generation has its leaders that are the expression of Moses. This is called a whole soul, a soul that's connected to each and every Jewish soul of that generation. The vision that a Rebbe has is from a different level. It's not just that a Rebbe is more smart and more talented or the most brilliant man of the century. That's not it. The way to define a Rebbe is somebody with spiritual vision who is in touch with the souls of the Jewish people of his time. And this is what the Rebbe said about our generation. I'm actually going to read you from the talk. He said like this, The idea of bitterness when it comes to repentance doesn't apply to this last generation. The generation of the footsteps of Mashiach. Because in our generation, he says, we do not have the strength, the wherewithal to handle this kind of bitterness. In our generation, we need an extra measure of encouragement and strength. He looked at our souls and he said, our souls cannot handle crushing. Our souls need an extra measure of encouragement and strength. 
Vilachain Bidirenu Zat Avaidas Hatashuva He Mitaich Simcha Dafka. That's why in our generation the service of Teshuva must be specifically with joy. He said, Our generation cannot handle bitterness. Our generation needs extra encouragement and extra strength. And yes, we need to do Teshuva, but the Teshuva has to be with joy. And then he said, It is well known, the saying of our Rabbeim. Tracht gut, vet sein gut. Think good and it will be good. And this is a story of the Tzemach Tzedek, the third Chabad Rebbe, the grandson of the author of the Tanya. A chassid once came to him. He made an emergency trip because his son was deathly ill. And he came to the Rebbe for a blessing. And the Rebbe told him five words. Tracht gut, vet sein gut. Think good and it will be good. And on the way home, all way back, he had a vision of his son being better. He completely put his trust only on Hashem. And when he came home, his son was completely better. And the Rebbe says something really amazing further on in this talk. He says, In our generation, this generation of the footsteps of Mashiach, after all the suffering and the anguish that our generation has been through, the Jewish people are not just generation by generation. The Jewish people are a collective whole from the beginning, from the inception of our nation until now, we're one unit. And the suffering that the Jewish people as a whole has been through means something for our generation. It means we have already been through suffering because we are a continuation of the Jewish people. We are part of the collective whole. And post-Holocaust, post all the suffering that the Jewish people have been through, the Rebbe says, Asher Yisurim Mimarkin. This is a quote from the Talmud. Sufferings cleanse. Mivarim they purify. The Yisurim Mizakachim, sufferings refine Umarimimim, and they elevate. Because the Jewish people have been so, so, through so much suffering, and the Talmud tells us that sufferings cleanse, and the Rebbe explains this that it means sufferings purify, sufferings refine, sufferings exalt and elevate. Therefore, Right now, where we stand in Jewish history, our souls are in a very high place. We are specifically related to the idea of higher teshuva. And higher teshuva, is specifically out of joy. So you can say one second. Wow, he really let us off the hook. We were going to crush ourselves. And he said, no, no, crushing ourselves for our generation doesn't apply. We cannot crush ourselves. We can't handle that. We're already crushed. The Jewish people have already been crushed. At this point of history, we cannot handle this kind of crushing. We can't handle this kind of bitterness. Instead, we have to have teshuva with joy. Teshuva with joy is not necessarily easier. It's just more pleasant. He didn't tell us we don't have to make any effort. Of course we have to make so much effort. How much effort does it take 
when somebody is, God forbid, in a very bleak situation and they're not worried, but they do as David HaMelech says in Tehillim, Hashem throw your burden on Hashem. Is that always easy? To the extent that you don't feel any worry in your heart. It's not my problem. He's going to take care of it. The Rebbe spoke about this in a 1963 address. And he said, how could it be that somebody who in reality says this is a very bleak situation, hope is very low. Why would he suddenly have a good outcome just because he thinks positively? And the Rebbe said, because he transcended his nature. He went beyond himself. By trusting Hashem, he surrendered to Hashem. He totally transcended his nature. And therefore, the way we act below causes a reciprocal action from above. And even if a person wasn't deservant of something better, just for the fact that they trust in Hashem to the extent that they felt no anxiety or worry and totally said Hashem is going to make this come out good, for that alone, they deserve that it should be good. So this is our service in this generation. It takes more muscles to smile than to frown. It's not always easier, but this is the way we're going to do it because our souls cannot handle crushing. Now, this is just specifically for our generation, but even if we read the Tanya now and say, well, the altar said we're supposed to crush ourselves. No, he didn't. What did he say? He said, this is for a specific spiritual ailment. If a person has a finger infection, the first thing they do is not run to get a surgery. No. You clean your finger, you soak it in warm water with salt, you put some Neosporin and a Band-Aid. Surgery is not the first thing you do. The same thing, crushing yourself is not the first thing you do. The first thing you do is follow the right method. The right method is you study. You understand what you study. So study it a few times until you really get it. Then you sit and meditate. I doubt that there is a person in this generation, after we read the talk of the Rebbe, that soul is not going to respond to that. We've already been crushed. Our soul is so receptive. We just have to do the methodology. We have to take the right steps. So first of all, study. Second of all, meditate. And if your heart doesn't respond, then you know you have Tim Tim Halev. Very few people are going to get there. Very few people are going to get there. So we have to follow the right method. So are we going to study this chapter? Of course, 100%. It's a treasure. It's an advice that we have to know. It keeps our ego in check. What we're not going to do is we're not going to actually sit there make the time to crush ourselves intensely. We're going to know the ideas. The ideas still apply. They're 100% true. They're a treasure. But we're not going to actively crush ourselves because first of all, we have to first try the number one method, method A, and that is meditating. And second of all, the Rebbe told us our generation cannot handle crushing. We have to be joyful. We have to trust in Hashem. We have to think good and it will be good. So we are, here we are in the middle of chapter 29. We're at the bottom of page 2 if you print out the booklets. And we were just talking about how when it comes to the Benoni, to the average man, the animal soul is the very man himself. Why is it the very man himself? Shenefesh hachiyunis hamachaya haguf. Four. In his heart, the vital soul, which animates the body, is in its full strength as it was at birth. 
Hence, it indeed is the very man himself. So we're calling the animal soul the vitalizing soul, the energizing soul. When you want to classify a person, or when you want to distinguish between a person and an animal, where does the chief distinction lie? Is it the difference between the forms of their bodies? No. If you want to classify the difference between a person and an animal, the chief distinction lies in their life energy, their soul, their source. It's a whole different kind of soul. The Ramban, Nachmanides on Genesis, calls the human soul an intellectual soul. Totally different kind of life energy. So when you want to classify a person, you have to say, where do they get their energy from? Who is their life energy? You know you love your little kids so much, so you grab them and you hug them. Are you hugging them because you want to grab their physical form? No. You're hugging them because you want to hug their innerness. You want to hug their life energy. You want to hug who they are. Practically speaking, we can't do that without holding their body that holds their life energy. So now we want to typify who is the Benoni. For all practical purposes, he is his animal soul because that is what gives his energy to his body. Yes, the divine soul gives the energy to the animal soul, which then in turn gives life to the body. But the consciousness that a person identifies with is the animal soul. When you say, I am hungry, I am thirsty, I am tired, it's the animal soul. Because that is our primary source of energy, the one that gives energy to our body. I don't want to say primary source, but that is the most recognizable source of energy, the one that gives energy to the body. That comes to be called the person himself. In contrast, With regard to the divine soul within him, it is said, The soul which you gave within me is pure. The word within me cannot be understood as referring to the body alone. The body cannot speak for itself as a complete man. Thus, it must refer to also the animating soul. Therefore, the words which you gave within me imply that the man himself who is saying these words is not identified with the pure soul, meaning the divine soul is a thing apart which has been placed within this me, the body and the animal soul. So we say this prayer in the morning. We say, Elokai, Neshama Shenasatabi, Tahirahi, my God, the soul that you place within me, it is pure. Wait, the soul that you place within me? Who is the me that's housing the soul? We're talking about the animal soul. I have to say this a million times. This is only the everyday consciousness. Essentially, every Jewish person is his divine soul. But does every Jewish person live in line with his divine soul in every thought, speech, and action? No. And honestly, it's not our fault. That's the way we were created. This is our task in life. This is the struggles that we have. But we're just looking at the utter truth right now. And the truth hurts sometimes. It hurts. You can read it and you can say, ouch. 
but it doesn't mean we're going to ignore it. We're going to work through it together. Okay? So a person reads his morning prayers and he says, the soul that you place within me is pure. The divine soul is pure. That means that I am hosting somebody else. I am hosting a guest. I am hosting the divine soul. Me is my animal soul. The divine soul, thank you. You placed it within me. It is pure. Kiim Batsadikim. Except in the case of Tzadikim. Tzadikim are in a whole different league. Tzadikim have a whole different consciousness. Shebahem hulehapach. With them, the contrary is true. Shenishamahatahira shehi nefesh ha'alaikis huha adam. The man himself is the pure soul, meaning the divine soul. The gufam nikra bisar adam, while their body is called the flesh of man, meaning secondary to the man himself, the divine soul. So being a tzaddik is a whole nother kind of creature. A tzaddik was born just like we were. Primary consciousness is the animal soul. Essential source of life is the divine soul. But they managed to transform their animal soul into another force for good. So here is a good place to stop and speak about the structure, the makeup, the essential identity of the animal soul. The previous Rebbe explains that the animal soul, if you want to just strip it down to its very core, what is it? What is its essential identity? It is a power for pleasure. It seeks pleasure. By default, the animal soul is drawn after the pleasures of this world. That's how we're born. You don't have to teach a child to seek nourishment. I'm always surprised how little children just love sugar automatically. Why? Maybe you should love green beans, but they don't. It's a natural default, a natural inclination of the animal soul to seek the pleasures of this world. Seeking the pleasures of this world is not good. It's not searching for the divine. It's searching after the opposite. But if we just get to the core of the animal soul, the core of the animal soul is the power for pleasure. The power for pleasure essentially is neither good nor bad. Just as now, by default, it searches for material pleasure, it can be transformed to seek divine pleasure. Once the animal soul has been trained that the ultimate pleasure is divine pleasure, and we have to remember that this is the essential truth, any pleasure that there is in this world, any material pleasure, is a devolution of the original. The original is ultimate divine pleasure. No pleasure in this world comes close to the truest pleasure, which is divine pleasure. There was a great chassid who said, if all the pleasure seekers in this world would know the pleasure that there is in proper prayer, they would drop all their pleasure seeking and run to the Shulta Davin. No pleasure compares with divine pleasure. As soon as the animal soul has come to understand that the ultimate pleasure is divine pleasure, that's it, game over. It becomes another force for good. That's what happened in the case of the tzaddik.
In the case of a tzaddik, he no longer seeks the pleasures of this world. His primary force has become his divine soul because his animal soul has become subsumed within it. So for us, our primary consciousness is our animal soul. That's what we call the man himself. The tzaddik is exactly the opposite. The tzaddik's primary consciousness is his divine soul. And what do they call their body? They call their body the flesh of man. For us, our animal soul is what we identify with. Our body is what we identify with. For a tzaddik, his body is not identical to him. His body belongs to him. He has his house, his car, his clothes, his body. People don't say, I have my clothes and I have my body. No. My body is me. A tzaddik, their body is called the flesh of man. It's something that they have a relationship with. It's something that they are responsible for, but it's not them. That's why the great Hasidic master interpreted the saying of our sages, explained the saying of our sages in the Talmud. The Talmud says like this, Yaakov avinu lo meis. Our father Jacob didn't die. What does that mean he didn't die? So Rabbi Tzedek HaKain of Lublin explains that who was Yaakov Avinu? Yaakov Avinu essentially was his divine soul. That's who he identified with. And so when his soul exited his body, he didn't die. He was the same. He just changed location. He exited his body. He went on to another form of existence. But he didn't die. He was the same Yaakov Avinu in his body as he was out of his body. Who was he? He was his divine soul. That's not how most people identify. Most people identify, ow, you hurt me. It's my body and my body is me. Very, very different way of consciousness. And honestly, this is not what we chose for ourselves. This is what Hashem chose for us. This is the mission that he chose for us, that we have this kind of consciousness and we struggle with it and we bring him pleasure through our struggles as we learn in chapter 27. But right now we're dealing with a certain spiritual ailment and we're working towards humility. And in working towards humility, we have to come, become aware of the ultimate truth. What is the truth? The truth is that we identify with our animal soul. This is our primary consciousness. And when we say me, we mean the animal soul that comes from the Sitra Akhara. Uchamaimer Hela Hazakin Latamidav, Keshahaya Hailech Lachal, Haya Aimer Shu Hailech Ligmo Chesed, Imha Aluva, Vaania Hugufai. It was in this sense that Hillel the Elder would say to his disciples when he went to eat that he was going to do a favor to the lowly and poor creature, meaning his body. So he would say, okay, guys, class is over. I'm going to do a favor to the lowly, a poor creature. And they were like, who? This happened every day. Who, are he, who is he doing a favor for? And he said, I have to go take care of my body. I'm going to go feed it. That was his consciousness. His body belonged to him. He was responsible to take care of it. So he said, I need to go take care of the poor and lowly creature. That wasn't him. Him? He was his divine soul. His body was the flesh of man, the lowly and poor creature. He regarded his body as a foreign thing and therefore used this expression that he was doing it a favor by giving it food. He 
כי לבדה מחיה גופי ובשרי, שהרע שהיה בנפש החיונס, המלובשס בדמי ובשרי נסהפך לטייב, ונכלל בקדושס נפש הלקיס ממש בצדיקים. For he himself was nothing other than the divine soul. It alone animated his body and flesh, inasmuch as in Sadiqim the evil that was in the vital soul, pervading their blood and flesh, has been transformed into good and completely absorbed into the holiness of the divine soul. And thus, the divine soul is the man himself. So later on in Tanya, the Alter Rebbe describes the life of a tzaddik. And he says, the life of a tzaddik is not a fleshly life. It's a spiritual life. His life consists of faith, awe, and love. The Alter Rebbe uses three, these three terms because he has supporting verses from the Torah that call these things faith, awe, and love. The Torah calls these things life. This is the life of a tzaddik. A tzaddik's life is his divine soul. His body, it's a stranger. He needs, sure, he has to eat because he needs to take care of his body. But who is he? He is his divine soul. This is in contrast to the everyday man. The everyday man doesn't see his body as a stranger. The everyday man sees his body as being himself. So now we understand why it is that through breaking the body, not meaning our physical body, but through breaking our spirit, we break the Sitra Akhara because we identify so deeply with it. And when we break our heart, when we feel humble, we humble it. And that allows our heart to become feeling again, our heart to be sensitive again, to break the dullness of the heart. Okay, Aval Babaini. Me'achar shemahusa va'atzmusa shal nefesh achiyonis ha'bahamish shemisitra achra mubeshes bedami v'sari la'inav ha'chotayv harei hihi ha'adam asme. With a benoni, however, since the substance and essence of the vitalizing animal soul stemming from the sitra achra, which pervades his blood and flesh, has not been transformed into good, it indeed constitutes the man himself, and thereby, therefore, by crushing his own spirit, the benoni actually crushes the sitra achra. The Alter Rebbe now proceeds to suggest various lines of reasoning that the Benuni may use in order to humble and crush his spirit, and thereby the Sitra Akhra of his animal soul. The first of these follows from the point just concluded, that the personality of the Benuni is in fact an expression of the Sitra Akhra, the animal soul. So now he's going to give us methodology. How do you crush your spirit? So this is thought number one. Just think about this very fact. Just take this fact to heart. The fact that your primary consciousness is the Sitra Akhara. That hurts. That's, that's humbling. That's crushing. That shatters. Now, shattering the ego in general is a very important way of life. Not meaning getting down and hardening yourself, but not allowing the ego to run rampant. The Talmud recounts that Alexander the Great spoke to the elders of the South, brilliant sages in Israel, and he asked them 10 different questions. One of the questions he asked them is, Ma ya'avid inish v'yichya? What should a man do so that he may live? And they answered him, Yamis atzmai. He should kill himself. Meaning, not kill yourself, of course not. <laughs> Meaning, 
th- that he should work hard. He should be humble. He should toil in Torah study. He shouldn't live an extravagant and indulgent life. Because when a person indulges himself, that was his, their next question. What should a man do so that he may die? And they said he, that, they, that he should live. They, the next question was, what should a man do to die? And he said, live, meaning live it up, indulge yourself. Sure, feed your ego. That's a great way to die. But if you want to live, be humble. That was their advice. This is the advice of the sages. I mean, think about that famous address to the, the, the university students. I think it was at Princeton where he said, stay foolish and stay hungry. You want to live, you want to grow, be humble. That's the way. So the advice here in the Tanya is not new advice. This is age-old advice since the beginning. And yet when we hear this advice, it hurts. And we're like, I don't know if I want to do this. So no, we're not going to go through intense crushing sessions. But of course we're going to be aware of the truth. Of course we're going to keep our ego in check. That's the only way. Okay, so if the fact is that our primary consciousness is our animal consciousness, then take this to heart. The Imkain who rachaik mehashem betachas harichuk. If so, that he is actually the animal soul, he is removed from Hashem with utter remoteness. What does that mean, utter remoteness? That means that there there are things in this world that are pretty removed from Hashem. Things in this world that are considered impure and unholy. They are far, but do you know who is the farthest? Him. They are far, they are removed from Hashem, but this person whose primary consciousness is his animal soul, I don't want to say we, but let me say we, or I'll just say I. I It means, uh, as far as these other things are from Hashem, I am removed with an utter remoteness. Ow! That hurts. It hurts. Why is that? Remember, we're speaking about a Benoni. A Benoni, practically speaking, is a tzaddik. Even his thoughts, he's careful with. It's not just his speech and behavior that's always in line with the Torah. His thoughts... He never consciously entertains a sinful thought. This is like almost as perfect as you can get. So how could we say he's so far removed from Hashem? For the lusting drive in his animal soul, is capable of lusting also after forbidden things, which are contrary to Hashem's will. The very fact that he has the ability to lust after something that Hashem hates, that Hashem said, don't do it, the fact that he could desire it, means he's so far from Hashem. Hashem said, don't do this. He's not doing it. But he doesn't find it disgusting That means he's so far from Hashem. It means there's a disconnect. It means there's a dissonance somewhere. I know this is painful and I hope that after class we're going to discuss it. So, because I don't want to leave us hanging. This is deep stuff. It's stuff that it's like a privilege to learn. These are ideas from the Kabbalah. 
Remember in the olden days, not everybody could study this. We're living in the times right before Mashiach, where now we are able to study this kind of wisdom. So this wasn't available to the general, to the general populace generations ago, but now it's available to us, and it's a joy, but it also can hurt sometimes. While he does not desire to do them, these forbidden things, in actual practice, God forbid. So the Benini is such a person that never desires to do anything against Hashem's will. He's like the anaphylactic lady who would never think of eating peanuts because she's going to end up either in the hospital or worse. Never ever think of going against Hashem's will. Absolutely not. Out of the question. Would never cause the damage to his soul. Yet, Yet they are not truly repulsive to him as they are to Tzadikim, as explained above in chapter 12. There the Altarab explains that after his prayers, when the love of God is no longer revealed in his heart, a Benoni can feel a craving for material pleasures, whether they be permitted or forbidden, except that in the case of forbidden matters, he does not actually wish to implement his desires in forbidden actions. They remain instead in the category of sinful thoughts. So the Benoni is like the anaphylactic lady who would never think of eating peanuts, but she doesn't think peanuts are disgusting. She might even think they look good. That's the Benoni. At Sadiq, it's not just that he won't think of doing it practically. To him, it's disgusting. It's like eating waste. Can he eat waste? He has the possibility. He has the capability. Nobody's going to stop him. He still has freedom of choice. But practically speaking, he can't. It's disgusting. Can he jump into the fire pit? He could, but he wouldn't. He can't, practically speaking. It's so against him. So while the Benini might find sin terrifying, dangerous, he doesn't find it disgusting. He may even find it tempting. Just for the fact that he can think that something that it is against Hashem's will is tempting or pleasurable puts him in a certain place. It puts him in utter remoteness from Hashem. By the same token, this very fact, Hasidus explains, that just because we could go against Hashem's will also puts us in a very special place. It means that we have a relationship with Hashem's will. Hashem says, you are precious to me. I want you to do these certain things and I am giving you freedom of choice. You specifically have a relationship with his will. Because you have a relationship with his will, because you could go contrary to his will, means you are special. It means there's a relationship here. It puts you in a totally different league, even above angels. But the flip side of the coin is the fact that you can desire something that is against Hashem's will puts you at an utter distance from Him. Now, Shelly, I see that you look a little upset. So I want to warn you right now before the next line comes that as hard as everything was until now, this is going to hurt. 
Okay, this is gonna hurt. Uvazah, Hugarua, Umashukats, Umasuav, Yaiser Mibale Chaim Hatmeim, Ushkatsim Uramasim Kanal. In this, he is inferior to and more loathsome than and abominable than unclean animals and insects and reptiles as mentioned above. For even they do not transgress against God's will as we learned in chapter 24. And since he does so, at least in his mind, he is worse than they. Okay, we learned in chapter 24 that anything that receives life energy through the Sitra Akhra and the Sitra Akhra itself, the forces of evil in this world, as low down as they are, Kulam, Enam, Mishanim, Tafkidam, they never deviate from their intended purpose. So as low down as they are, that's the way they were created. They never deviate from their intended purpose. Are you going to call a lion a criminal because it devours a sheep? Are you going to call the sheep a martyr? No. This is their purpose. They're kind of like robots in a way. They don't have freedom of choice. Do you know what the angels are called? They're called Chayais HaKadesh, the holy animals. They too don't have freedom of choice like we do. Because they don't have freedom of choice, they never deviate from their intended purpose. A person who deviates from his intended purpose comes out that he is inferior to they. Our superiority is the flip side of our inferiority. It's two sides of the same coin. In learning Torah, we have to be very broad-minded. We have to be able to look at the same issue from one side and then from the other side. There's one side that brings us incredible joy. Right now, we're looking at the side that brings us profound pain. There's a great Hasidic master who said that everybody must carry two notes in their pockets. One note has to say, Bishvili nivraha olam. For my sake was the world created. That's what the Talmud tells us. The Talmud says, why was man created alone? So that each person should say, Bishvili nivraha olam. For my sake was the world created. It's not just a privilege, it's a responsibility. That means destiny is specifically in our hands individually. For my sake was the world created. In his other pocket, the note has to read the words of Avraham Avinu. I am but dust and ashes. So right now, we're looking at the humility side. And it hurts. We're not going to brush over it, though. We're going to go through it. And this is where we are. As it is written in Tehillim, this is King David writing collectively for the Jewish people. But I am a worm and not a man. As a human being who chooses to lower himself to the level of a worm, I am worse than a worm. For it is a worm by creation rather than by choice. So if a man acts like a worm, he's worse than the worm. The worm is a worm. But a man who acts like a worm is worse than a worm. 
Okay, so we're speaking to the Benoni. We're speaking to somebody who has time every day, or almost every day, where he's totally passionately in love for Hashem, in love with Hashem. And at those times, he feels no passion or desire to the pleasures of this world. So the person can say, one second, this doesn't really apply to me. I'm reading all here that you say, that's true, I know I have an animal soul, I identify with my animal soul, but I have times that I'm so in love with Hashem, you can't possibly be talking to me. So the author is going to say, even that person who experiences profound love for Hashem on a regular basis, this message is for him too. But what of the times when the divine soul of the Benoni dominates him, such as during prayer when he experiences a revealed love of God and there is no room in his heart for any mundane desires? To this the Alter Rebbe answers, Even when his divine soul gathers strength within him to arouse his love of God during prayer, this predominance of the divine soul is not altogether genuine since it is transient and vanishes after prayer, as mentioned earlier, end of chapter 13. Now, listen to this. In chapter 13, when the Alta Rebbe presented us this thought, he gave us this thought to comfort us. This very thought that he gave here to humble us, he gave us the very same thought in chapter 13 to comfort us. Let's look at this thought. The Alter Rebbe explains there that only that which is permanent and unchanging can be described as true. Relative to the rank of the Benoni, this arousal of the divine soul during prayer may be considered truthful since the Benoni is capable of generating it always, whenever he prays. How, it cannot, however, be described as absolutely truthful, MS la amitai, since it is not constant, occurring only during prayer. So this is what he said there. He said, look, I understand that at certain times you experience love for Hashem, like during prayer. Your heart is on fire. And then after prayer, it leaves. But while this may not be the absolute truth, it's your truth. And truth has many levels. It's not something haphazard because this is something that you can repeat on a regular basis. You have certain steps that you take every single day. You meditate. You pray. And suddenly, every day, you experience profound love for Hashem. So don't come down hard on yourself. You may not be the tzaddik, they, this may not be the truth of truths, but this is your truth. And truth has very many levels. Whichever level that you're at, there is a truth there. So he was using this to comfort the Benoni. What is the absolute truth? If we want to know what the absolute truth is, the standard is unyielding. The standard is as the prophet Yermia said, the Hashem Elohim MS. And God, your Lord, is true. The only truth that there is, is Hashem. What's the standard of truth? The truth means unchanging. Only Hashem can say, Ani Hashem Leishanisi, I Hashem have not changed. Hashem is forever. Hashem doesn't change. 
Only Hashem is true. So by that standard, nothing is true. But how do we establish truth? We establish truth by saying, does this thing change? Does this thing fluctuate? This guy is now in love with Hashem. How is he in two hours from now? The Talmud describes in the Mishnah about the waters that you can use in order to do the para aduma, the red heifer, for pur- the purifying ashes. And it says, talks about mayim hamechazvim, lying waters. You can't use lying waters, waters that are deceitful. What are waters that are deceitful? So the Mishnah says, if the spring dries up once in seven years, even though right now it's a spring, but every once in seven years it dries up, even now it's not a spring. These are deceitful waters. They're not constant, so they're not true. Whatever is not constant is not true. If we're going to use it at the ultimate truth, then absolutely nothing is true. Because the only thing that is true is Hashem, Hashem Elohim Emes. But then there in chapter 13, the Alter Rebbe said that truth has very many levels. Whatever level that you're at, there's a level of truth there. Are you a person that every single day can get to that space of love for Hashem? If yes, then that's true. A scientific experiment that can be replicated is true. You can get the same results every day. Maybe you're not like that all day, every day, but every day you get there, then that's true. But now we're using that same comforting thought and we're saying, I don't care. I don't care that sometimes you're totally passionately in love for Hashem, but that's not constant for you. If it's not constant for you, then you have to consider yourself right now that you identify with your animal soul. Even when you're passionately in love with Hashem, you have to realize that ultimately right now where you are, you identify with the life energy of the animal soul, which is from the Sitra Akhara. And that's a very, very humbling thought. So I'm going to wrap up what we said until now. And that is that in order to crush the Sitra Akhara, which is causing a numbness to the heart, which in its arrogance is lifting itself up against the light of the holiness of the divine soul, not allowing the light of the divine soul to penetrate the body, to move your heart, you have to crush the sitra achra. You have to crush the dark side. Now, that would be easy enough if we can just go to war and fight some battle without. But the problem is it's within. And because we identify with our animal soul, when we crush our own heart, we crush the sitra achra. It is only the tzaddik that can call his divine soul me because he transformed his animal soul to be subsumed within his divine soul. And for him, his body is just mere flesh and bones. It's called the flesh of man. But for everybody else, who they identify with is their animal soul. And by crushing the animal soul, by crushing their own heart, they break the sitra achra. The first thought that they think to mind is, Look how far you are from Hashem. You identify with the animal soul in such a way that you can even desire things that are against Hashem's will. That puts you in a league even lower than the reptiles, the unclean things. That puts you in a league that's even inferior today because they never go contrary to Hashem's will. And the fact that you can desire to go contrary to Hashem's will means that you are inferior today. So now, to wrap this up, I want to say I want to remind us that the Rebbe said, our generation does not have the wherewithal 
to handle this kind of crushing. Our generation needs extra encouragement, needs extra strength. And our path is to shuva with joy. Tracht gut wird sein gut. Think good and it will be good. Have true bitachon in Hashem, true trust in Hashem. And so for this, I want to end with a story of the Baal Shem Tov. Baal Shem Tov once took his students, said, come, we're going to learn a lesson in bitachon, in trust in Hashem. They went to an inn. They first traveled. They traveled. They went to an inn. And they got there a very nice innkeeper. They got settled for the night. The next morning, they're during their prayers. A policeman comes in with his staff, bangs three times on the table, and he walks out. The innkeeper doesn't look perturbed or alarmed at all, but they're wondering, what is this about? After prayers, he comes in again, knocks on the table. So they turn to the innkeeper. They said, who is this guy? He said, oh, this is the guy that reminds me that today is the day I got to pay the rent. If I don't pay the rent, my family and I get thrown into the dungeon. In those days, the parrots, the landowner, was like a mini king. If you didn't pay him the rent, he was able to just throw people in the dungeon. So this is the reminder that if we don't pay the rent today, I'm getting thrown in the dungeon with my family. So the Baal Shem Tov said, well, you look very calm. You must have the money that you need. How about you go pay him and, you know, we'll wait here for you. You don't have to worry about us. Serve us breakfast already. He said, oh, no, I don't have the money. We're going to right now sit down. We're going to have breakfast. Hashem will take care of me. It's really fine. Not a worry in the world. He totally trusts in Hashem. So they sit down, they eat their meal peacefully, serenely. They're just ending their meal and it's the third time. So he said, okay, I'm going to bench. I got to go. So they bench. He has concentration. His face doesn't express a trace of worry. He gets stressed into his Shabbos clothes. And the Baal Shem Tov said, oh, because now you have the money? He said, no, I don't have the money. But don't worry, Hashem's going to take care of me. So they walk the man out. They see him off. And they're watching him walk in a distance. As he's walking down the road, he's approached by a wagon. The wagon driver stops. They exchange a few words. The wagon driver continues. The man continues. And the wagon driver turns around, goes back to the man, opens up his window, gives him a whole bunch of money, and then continues on his way to the inn. He comes to the inn, and they ask him what happened. And he said, oh, the innkeeper over there, I wanted to make a deal with him to buy all the wine, all the vodka that he has for this season. And he was being very stubborn. He wouldn't accept my offer. So I left, and he left. And then I decided, you know what, he's stubborn, but he's honest. I've done really good business with him in the past. I'm just going to go back. I'll give him the money that he asked me for. So I went back. And I gave him the money, and now I'm here. I'm going to pick up the spirits soon. And so, and the, and the innkeeper told me, I'll be back soon. I'm coming back to the inn soon. I just got to go pay my rent. And the Baal Shem Tov turned to his students and he said, See the power of trust in Hashem. Look at this man. He left the inn to pay his rent without a penny in his pocket. But he completely trusted in Hashem to the extent that he didn't feel a trace of anxiety or worry. And trusting in Hashem brought him relief. Took care of all his problems. So that's our job today. We're not going to crush ourselves. We're not going to get down hard on ourselves because we can't. 
we're going to take the right method, which was we're going to learn about Hashem. That's what the Rambam says. We just started the Rambam again. The Rambam says, how is the way to come to love him? When you meditate upon his brilliant creations, when you think about his unfathomable wisdom, your heart will come with love for him. So we're going to think the right ideas. We're going to meditate on them. And for sure, our heart is going to respond because our generation, after all the suffering that the Jewish people have been through, has been cleansed and elevated. And we are proper vessels to respond joyfully with tshuva to Hashem. We're going to do tshuva ilah, the higher joy, the higher tshuva, which is tshuva out of joy. And next class, next week, there's no class because it's Tishabav, and it should be a yamtif because we're going to be celebrating the rebuilding of the base Hamikdash. It should be immediately in our days. Amen. And now we're opening up for a discussion and questions. Everybody's on mute, so if you have something to share, tell you hi! Then please turn your cam- your your microphone on. Hello, everybody. So good to be here. Good to see you, Talia. Welcome to town. Baruch Hashem, we are so blessed. Baruch Hashem, we get to study these ideas just for that we should dance. Even if they hurt, but just we get to study them, for that we should dance. Why does it hurt? It doesn't hurt. Why? Do you know the truth, does it hurt? No. Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay, bye everybody. So next week, see you in Jerusalem in the newly rebuilt base Hamikdash. I'm so excited. I can't wait. And see you then in person.